0: Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bible, open up to Ruth, the book of Ruth. That's in the Old Testament, right there at the beginning of the Old Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We'll have all of our scripture on the screen there. You can follow along. Um, If this is your first time, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, It is so good to see you, and thank you again for being here with us. We're going to be in Ruth in just a couple of minutes. Before we get started here, I want to show you a clip of a news program that that was shown this last February. It was reporting on the Rhode Island Boys State Championship game in, in, in the Class 3 uh, range there. So so this news clip is covering the final seconds of the Rhode Island boys state championship basketball game. So I want you to watch this with us real quick. What a finish. Burville down one. Final seconds when Jared Cabral pulls up, drains the jumper. Broncos up 59-58. Last chance for Cheryl. Four seconds left. The ball is picked off by Dominic Esposito. He throws the ball high into the air. Burville thinks they've won. Not so fast. Nathan Morin of Chero actually caught the ball. Called timeout with time still on the clock. Meanwhile, Burville thinks they've won. They're dogpiling. But you can see the refs get together, confirm. Still one second left. So here we go. Chero down one, second to go. Jacob Beauregard. Makes the pass of his lifetime to Tom Longoluco at the rim. Can you believe it? Cheroho stuns Burville 60 59. Unbelievable. Ouch. Could you imagine that? How devastating that would be! You even saw that on the clip. Uh, the buzzer even sounded, and the whole Boroughville team, they go and they, they rejoice in the center of the court, and they're celebrating, they're high-fiving, they're dogpiling. I mean, they heard the buzzer, the game was over, but not so fast, right? Just because the buzzer sounded didn't necessarily mean that the game was over. The Chero player caught the ball, he called a timeout, and, and then you saw what happened next. There's a moment in that clip after the buzzer sounded when the Burrowville team is celebrating and they're dogpiling. They think that they've just realized their dream of winning a high school boys state basketball championship. They're celebrating. There's a scene in that clip that will haunt that team forever. It's when that ref in the background behind the dogpile is walking back over to the scorer's table with one finger up. And he's saying, wait a second, There's still time on the clock. There's one second left. And he walks over to the scorer's table and he tells them, You put one more second back on that clock. This game isn't over. Don't ever underestimate the power of one second. Don't ever underestimate the opportunity in one more chance. Because it's often in those moments where everything changes. It's in that moment, in that second, that everything changes. Some of you are here this morning and you have a scoreboard in your life you, you you can see it. it. Maybe it's covering different areas of your life. Maybe it's a scoreboard that just covers your entire life. But you have a scoreboard, and for some of you here this morning, you feel like that clock is counting down, and the scoreboard is saying that you are losing. There's things going wrong. There's things that you can't figure out or fix. There's problems everywhere in your life, and you see that scoreboard counting down. It's clicking down. It's clicking down, and eventually, you're going to hear that that buzzer means the game is over many of you you're here this morning and you feel like that buzzer has sounded in different areas of your life maybe you're here this morning and your marriage is really struggling you filed divorce papers or maybe he stepped out on you or or things have gone from bad to worse and in your marriage you're hearing that indicating that it's over There's no more hope for you in your marriage. I want you to know something this morning. Just because you heard the buzzer doesn't mean that it's over. Just because you heard the buzzer doesn't mean that it's over. Some of you are are struggling financially. uh, uh, You're in a, a bunch of debt. Your investments have gone south. Things aren't going well. You got creditors calling you all the time. You don't have anything to show for the debt that you have. And in your financial life, you're hearing the buzzer. You don't know where to look. You don't know who to hope in. I want you to know something this morning. Just because you heard the buzzer doesn't mean that it's over. Some of you, 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 you are struggling as a parent, you, you've done your best to raise your kids the right way and, and to teach them honor and respect and how to make those right decisions, but, but now they're hanging out with the wrong crowd, the wrong people. They've been arrested. They've gotten in trouble. And for them, you hear that. And it's telling you that, that it's just it's over. The buzzer is sounding. You don't feel like there's any more hope. I want you to know something this morning. Just because you heard the buzzer doesn't mean that it's over. Some of you are here this morning, you're battling addiction. You've done everything you could to to find freedom from that addiction. You've done everything you can to to, to get over it and and find the victory, but time and time you see your life and and the clock is counting down and again and again and again, you, you, you crash and you hear that buzzer and that buzzer is screaming, you lost. You lost. Just because you heard the buzzer doesn't mean that it's over. Perhaps you're here and you're in a health battle. Things aren't going well for you health-wise. The doctor's diagnosis is negative again. And you've done some treatments, and they've been semi-successful, and you're trying to figure out what to put your hope in, but you're watching that clock count down. And you're, you're just waiting for that buzzer to sound, indicating that it's, it's all over. Maybe this last report was the buzzer. Maybe that last report was, was the, there's no more hope. Listen, just because you heard the buzzer doesn't mean that it's over. Maybe you feel like your season of usefulness has passed. Right? Like you had your moment, you had your day, you had your opportunity. Now, now things are just kind of slowing down for you. Uh, you're, you're just kind of coasting through life and you feel like, you know what, I don't have anything to offer anybody anymore. And you feel like the buzzer has sounded. You feel like your best years are behind you. Listen, just because the buzzer sounded doesn't mean that it's over. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a victim of abuse, you feel damaged. You feel broken. Maybe you're here this morning, you feel unlovely or unlovable. You're here and the isolation and the loneliness is suffocating you and you just can't find a way to escape. And, and it feels like every day when you look up at your scoreboard, you're losing and the clock is counting down. And, and in those moments of abuse, you hear the buzzer. You, you eliminate all hope in your life, but I want you to know just because you heard the buzzer doesn't mean that it's over. I want you to do something for me this morning. In, in, your, in your heart, in your, in your spirit, I want you to to look past the pain and the frustration and the disappointment and the loss. I want you to, in in your heart, as you're sort of analyzing your life, I want you to look past the enemy that's in the center court that's celebrating your destruction. I want you to look past the enemy that's celebrating your pain and that's rejoicing in your defeat. I want you to look past all of that loss for just a second in your heart in your spirit i want you to look past your tears and the pain and the brokenness because if if you do if you can glimpse past of all of that stuff what you're going to see is just beyond that you're going to see a savior standing back there you're going to see a savior standing back there holding up a finger saying hang on a second Don't lose hope just yet. Hang on, devil, you're celebrating too soon because there is still time on the clock. This game isn't over yet. We still have more to do. We got one more shot. We got one more chance. There's more moves to make. And we see the Lord walking over to the scorer's table and he's saying, put more time back on this clock because this game isn't over yet. It's not over. It's not over, I want you to know something this morning. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. God wants to bring you hope. He wants to restore your hope. He wants to restore your joy. I believe that for some of you here this morning, God is in the process of writing a one second left story. And that one second left story is going to change your life. Just like those boys that experienced that one second left story, they are never going to forget that. They're going to tell their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids, boy, the ref walked over. You You know what I mean? And they're going to forever tell their one second left story, I believe, with every Peace of my heart that for some of you in this room, God is in the process of writing a one-second-left story that's going to change your life, and it's going to change your kid's life, and it's going to change your grandkids' life because of what he wants to do in you today. So what I want to do here is I want to look in Scripture at a couple of one-second-left stories that we find in the Bible. The first one is in the book of Ruth there. Ruth chapter 1 tells a a one second left story here. It's the story of a family that moved from Bethlehem, which is where God's people lived, to Moab, which is where um, pagans lived. These were not people that loved and served and worshipped God. These were people that served false gods and and basically demon gods there in Moab. And there was a man, his name was Elimelech, and he he took his wife Naomi and his two sons from Bethlehem and the people of God to Moab because in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, there was a drought. There was a drought. There wasn't a whole lot of food. There wasn't a whole lot of like financial income there to, to access and to grow and wealth and, and power and all that stuff. So he moved his family from Bethlehem to Moab because there was better financial opportunities there. He felt like he could make a better life for his family there. So he takes his family to Moab. Soon after they went to Moab, tragedy struck, and Elimelech died. So Naomi was there with her two sons. The two sons were working. Uh, The two sons, because in that culture, the fact that they were male, they had opportunity to accumulate wealth, uh, land, power, and influence, and so still Naomi was taken care of. Um, So these two sons, they began to grow, and and, uh, uh, they were dating some Moabite girls. They eventually got married to a couple of Moabite girls, and and life was going on. Well, a little while later, tragedy struck again And Naomi's two sons died as well. So now it's Naomi and two Moabite girls there in Moab trying to make ends meet. For these three women, um, things weren't looking very good. For these three women, the clock was counting down. they They were losing. They were behind in that culture a group of women living together without any man to, to help, support, or or provide for them. It was a difficult situation for them. Life may as well have been over. They may as well have been dead. There was no hope left. There was no time left. There was no opportunity left. Some of you are here this morning, and you can relate to the feeling. The scoreboard doesn't look good for you. The clock is counting down, you're losing, and you can't see any hope anywhere on the horizon. Seems like the game is over. This is where these women find themselves at this portion of scripture. So they're trying to figure out what to do. Naomi hears that God has uh, restored his blessing on Bethlehem, that the drought is gone, and that there is, is food and money and opportunity there, and it's, and it's home for her. And so she decides she's going to go back home. And so she tells the girls, the two Moabite girls, that she's going to go back home. And they pack their stuff, and they get ready to, to walk down the dusty road back to Bethlehem. As Naomi's looking at the girl, she's realizing that she has absolutely nothing to offer these two girls. She's old, she's a widow, um, she has no money, she has no job, she has no land, she doesn't have a nest egg anywhere to fall back on, she has no hope, she has no future, absolutely nothing. She's just going back to Bethlehem because it's familiar to her. So she tells the girls, you girls, I want you to go back home to Moab. Moab. I'm going to go on to Bethlehem, this is where we part ways, I'm going to Bethlehem, you go back home to Moab, you go back to your home, you go back to your family, you go back to serving and worshiping your gods, right, you're still young enough, you can find a man, remarry, all hope is not lost for you like it is for me. So I want you girls to go back home to Moab. One of the girls, her name was Orpah, she She agreed to go back home. She kissed Naomi, and with tears in her eyes, she said goodbye, and she turned and went back home to Moab. Verse 16 says this, But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Essentially, what Ruth was saying is, Naomi, I see the scoreboard. I know that you're losing. I know that time is running down. I know that there is no hope for us. I know what I'm getting myself into, but I'm not leaving you. I'm sticking with you. Like, we are in this together. I don't care what the scoreboard says. I'm not jumping ship. I'm with you, Naomi. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked? Verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So this is what happens. Uh, Naomi and Ruth come into Bethlehem and the women there, they're excited to see her. They're receiving her warmly. They're saying, Naomi, it is so good to see you. We are so excited. Tell us everything. What's going on? Oh my goodness, you look great. And, and then they're, they're doing all that stuff and they're just receiving her very, very well. But Naomi is not happy about this. She says don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because Mara means bitter. She says call me Mara because this is not a victor's parade. She's returning back to Bethlehem broken, full of bitterness, full of anger, full of pain, full of resentment. She says this is not a happy homecoming. This isn't a victor's parade. She says, here is my clock. It's counting down. You can see it. I'm losing. This is a loser's parade here. The buzzer in my life has gone off. There is no hope for me. Don't call me Naomi because I'm not. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm resentful. Call me Mara. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Oftentimes what happens in our lives, in this spiritual place, this place that we can't see with our physical eyes, and with our spiritual ears, we hear buzzers go off. We say there is no more hope. There is nothing to look forward to. There is nothing to hope in. But if we can ignore the sound of the buzzer, and if we can ignore the rejoicing of the enemy, and you can peek through all that, oftentimes you'll see a God standing back there with one finger in the air saying, hold on a second, hold on, there's still more time. I know you heard the buzzer, and I know the enemy is rejoicing, but listen, there's still more time, and God specializes in putting time back on the clock. God's specialty is going back to the scores table and restoring time, putting time back on the clock. I want you to see what happens here. There's a line in this scripture, verse 22. It says, They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. This line seems very insignificant, but it's there for a reason. What God does is God often takes those little details and those small circumstances that we, that we miss. Watching, watching that video of those people celebrating, all of the people celebrating, they missed the fact that the referee was standing back there holding up one finger. It doesn't seem very significant, but it changed everything. And, and God does this all the time. He brings these insignificant things into our lives that we don't fully notice at the time, but when we look back and we think back, we see, oh yeah, there was God right there. This, this barley harvest, this springtime, is one of those moments where God uses something insignificant for major things. It may seem insignificant to you that you're here today. It, it may just be that you're here because you came for the candy on Monday night and you got a card and your, your kid was saying, hey, we got to go back so I can maybe win a bike. And you're like, okay, we'll do it. We'll check it out. And it may just seem like a complete accident that you're here today. It's one of those things that, that in the scheme of your life, you think, you know what, this is going to be a forgettable moment, but I want you to know that you are here for a reason, you are here for a purpose, and God wants to do something in your life and in your heart today. There's some of you that, that are, are North Shore people. like You are here every single week, and this is just another week of church attendance because you attend every single week. Listen, I want you to know that you being here today isn't even an accident, and I believe that God wants to do something in you today as well. It may seem insignificant to you that you had a grandma, a grandpa, a mom, a dad, an aunt, or uncle that prayed for you all the time. I think, you know what, they're just kind of the weird, crazy one. They, they say they pray for me, and I, you know, I, don't, I don't get into all of that stuff. Um, but that's not an accident, and that's not insignificant. That's one of those little side notes in your life that is going to come back and play major dividends in your future. These little things that seem small, these little moments, one second can seem insignificant until that's the difference between living living and dying, winning and losing, one second, one moment. I believe that God is perfectly orchestrating specific circumstances in your one second left story, circumstances for you that seem inconsequential, unimportant, that God is right now directing for your good. And I can't look at your life and tell you what those things are. You can't even look at your life and tell you what those things are because we can't see them in the moment. We only see them when we look back and think, wow, God was awesome. You won't notice them at the time, but know this, God is working in your life. Let me just say that again because there's somebody here that doesn't believe it. When I said that, you're like, not mine. Listen, I want you to know God is working in your life. I don't know who you are, but you need to know this. God is working in your life. In this scripture, the fact that it was the beginning of barley harvest had absolutely nothing to do with Naomi, had absolutely nothing to do with Ruth, had absolutely nothing to do with this story, except that this barley harvest creates a moment that changes everything. I want you to watch this. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ruth. It says, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Let me tell you a little bit about Boaz, because we're not going to have time to read the entire story. Boaz was kind. Boaz was wealthy. Boaz was influential. Boaz was a godly man. And by all accounts, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I guess I'm making this part up now. This isn't Bible stuff. I'm just making this up. He was tall, dark, and handsome, right? (laughs) Like, Boaz was the man, right? Right? This is who he was. He owned land. He, he employed workers. I mean, Boaz was the man. Verse two. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do this. And so in that day, um, what they did for their benevolence programs or, or to help the poor was during harvest, when the harvesters would come in and they would... They would you know, bring in the harvest, any of the grain that would fall to the ground, they would leave. They wouldn't bend over and pick it back up. And and what um, people without jobs or income or, or homes would come do is they would pick up the, the, the stuff that had fallen on the ground. They could They could glean that stuff and pick it up even though they weren't, you know, the harvesters. That was... Basically, the soup kitchen, that was their, their homeless feeding program. It would be equivalent to digging through the trash today to find some aluminum cans to turn them in for money so that you could go to McDonald's and get a dollar cheeseburger. Like, this was as low as you could possibly get. And for Ruth and for Naomi, the game was officially over. They'd already heard the buzzer. They weren't trying to create wealth. They weren't trying to turn their life around. They weren't trying to do anything like that. They were just trying to survive. Survival alone was the goal. So she said, I'm going to go out to the field. I'm going to try to pick up some stalks of grain left. You know, if anybody will let me do that. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. They, They had no other options. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz." the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Verse four. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. And so Boaz comes in and he checks on one of his fields. And and he's a good guy. He's talking to his workers. Hey, man, God bless you. And they're saying, no, Boaz, God bless you. And and they're just kind of exchanging these pleasantries. And how's things going? Things are going well. You know, what's the crop look like? Man, God is blessing us. You know, the rain's coming. And things are just going well. You know, we can build that extra wing on your House, all that other stuff, right? And then Boaz kind of stops, and you can see this in verse five. Then Boaz asked his foreman, "Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to?" Like Boaz comes up, he sees all these stinky men that work for him all the time. He's like, "Hey guys, what's up?" And then and then he looks out and he sees this hottie, right? <laughs> that's what, that's what Boaz is saying like who is she oh right and and so he asks who is that woman and who does she belong to this is the translation is she seeing anyone what's her facebook status say is she single because i'm single and she's you know so, so he comes up, he sees this woman, and she completely captivates him. We don't have time to tell this, the entire story, but, and, and you should read it, man, it's, it's an awesome story. It's an awesome picture of God's redemption. It's just beautiful. But we don't have time to read it all, but, but this was the moment. This was the second that changed everything. For Boaz, it was love at first sight. This moment ignited a whirlwind romance for them for Boaz and Ruth, and it, and it resulted in marriage. It resulted in kids. It resulted in a divine royal legacy that Ruth from Moab and Naomi with nothing could have ever predicted. They had already heard the buzzer in their life. Let me tell you how this worked out for, for Ruth, and, and even Naomi. So, so they get married to Boaz. She had nothing, now she has everything. Not only that, but, but their, their legacy changes when Boaz and Ruth have a baby and, and they had a son named Obed. Obed, he grew, he had a son named Jesse. Jesse grew, he, he had a family, and he had many sons, but one of those sons was named David. David, the giant slayer. David, the greatest king in Israel's history up until Jesus, amen? So think about this, Ruth, From Moab, after the buzzer had already sounded in her life, comes back into Bethlehem, meets and marries Boaz, and becomes David's great grandmother. That's not even like great, 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 you know, someone like the great grandmother, like you know, your great grandmas, some of you do, they're still there. Like she had influence, and God was doing an amazing thing. Now, Now, listen to this. Ruth heard the buzzer, but God had prepared a Boaz. God has one more move. He has one more play. The buzzer doesn't mean that the game is over. God specializes in putting more time back on the clock. And listen, what he did for Ruth, he wants to do for you. What he did for Ruth, he's already done for you. Let me show you. I want to show you one more thing. Let's think about Jesus for a second. Mark chapter 15, verse 15 says this, so to pacify the crowds, Pilate ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of you know this story well. Some of you just have seen pictures and you've heard it referenced before. But Jesus was beaten so bad, scripture says, that he wasn't even recognizable as a man. That he was spit upon, that he was punched, that he had his beard ripped out. He was stripped naked and he was nailed to a Roman cross in in a way that was designed to bring death, but bring it slowly and with the most amount of pain that they could inflict. Verse 37 says Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. So Jesus was beaten, he was bruised, he was bloodied, and he was hanging on the cross. And as he was hanging on the cross, he gave up his spirit, he breathed his last breath, and he died. And the game's over, right? The darkest day in human history when Jesus, the perfect man, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, was murdered on a cross. It was in that moment as the buzzer went off and Jesus breathed his last and death came over him that, that, that the hope of the disciples was dashed. It's in that moment as the buzzer sounded and Jesus died on the cross that all of hell rejoiced and Satan raised his bony fist in the air and pumped it in victory. But if you can see beyond that moment, if you can see beyond that, Just the pain of the bloody cross. If you can see beyond the defeat of the cross, you'll look back a little ways and you'll see God, our Heavenly Father, standing back there saying, hold on a second. Just a second. You may have heard the buzzer. He may have died, but that doesn't mean it's over. There's still time on this clock. There's still time. We got another play. We got another shot. There's still time. And what happened? is death began to make room for life and defeat began to make room for victory and Satan had to begin to submit to a risen Savior because three days later, when Jesus was laying in that tomb, that tomb, that stone began to shake and he burst forth in life and Jesus rose from the dead and what happened three days earlier on the cross couldn't be contained in the grave. Hang on. Hang on. It's not over. It's not over. And listen, if 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 God can add more time to the clock for Jesus when he died, he can surely add more time to yours. If he restores hope and ignites hope in Jesus' resurrection, he can resurrect your dreams. He can resurrect your relationships. He can resurrect your hopes. It's not over. It doesn't matter what the buzzer says. It doesn't matter what the scoreboard says right now. God specializes in adding more time. You may be here this morning, and you would say, but pastor, you don't know me. You don't know my situation. And and you're right, I don't. I I may not know you. I may not know your situation. But listen, I don't have to because I know Jesus. It doesn't matter what your situation is. I know Jesus. And and we sang about this just a moment ago. We we were singing about Jesus and and the cross. And and, and we we sing here my hope is found. Here is the moment where God adds more time to the scoreboard. Here is the moment that life wins over victory. I don't have to know you. I don't have to know your situation. I know Jesus, and I've seen what Jesus can do. Listen, Jesus is your victory after the buzzer. God sent Ruth a Boaz. God sent you and me Jesus. He is our victory after the buzzer. And so, so we get this question. We were worshiping a little bit, and worship was awesome today, and there was energy, and we were raising our hands and celebrating, and some of you aren't so comfortable with that. Maybe this is your first time. You're looking around, you're like, what in the world are these crazy people doing? Look, we get it. We're crazy. We're fine with that, Okay? But let me tell you why, why we do this. Let me tell you, let me explain this. You saw on the screen just a little bit ago where, where the, the team, they thought they lost and they were all walking back to the bench like this and then after they won, they celebrated, right? And they were celebrating for what, maybe 10, 15 minutes, cutting down the nets, all that stuff. Listen, we are celebrating in that same way because we were once dead without any hope. Now we have life because Jesus won the victory. And so our celebration has been lasting for 2000 plus years. And we're gonna continue to sing and celebrate because the victory was that impressive. And so we sing, we shout, we celebrate, we rejoice because the victory is that good. That's why we get excited. Because Jesus won and we're on his team. Yes. Yes. You might feel like your future can never be what you dreamed. You feel like you'll never live up to expectations. You feel like God can't use you because of what you've done or what has been done to you. Maybe you're here this morning you feel like you're not smart enough, talented enough, rich enough, or, or whatever Enough. You feel like God can't forgive you or won't forgive you and you keep hearing that stupid buzzer over and over again, saying, loser, loser, loser. I want you to look beyond that. I want you to look beyond all of that. I want you to see Jesus because he's got his finger lifted up. He's saying, hang on, there's still time. There's still time. And listen, God can do more with one second than you can do with an entire lifetime but I don't have much time left, who cares? God just needs a moment. He just needs one second. I wanna close with this question. Whose hands are you putting your one second left in? Many of you, you're looking around, you're realizing that you do have one more chance, you do have one more shot. I wanna ask, whose hands are you putting your one second left in? When you get one more chance, when you get one more shot, are you going to take it or are you going to let God take it? I wanna close with this illustration. It came from a poem. It's not mine, I stole it, but it's so good. Talking about whose hands is it in. A basketball in my hands isn't worth much. It's worth about $19. I played college basketball, but it it wasn't even worth a scholarship for me. I didn't even get a scholarship. It's messed up, right? But a basketball in my hands is worth about $19. In Michael Jordan's hands, it's worth about $59 million. It all depends whose hands it's in, right? A baseball in my hand is worth about six bucks. Not worth much. You put this same ball in Alex Rodriguez's hands, it's worth about $29 million. It all depends on whose hands it's in. Doesn't it? Think about this. A golf club in my hand is worth about $100. Unless I'm on one of those holes that the, the houses are right over here and I slice it into a window, then it'll cost me a little more. A club in my hand is about $100. A club in Jordan Spieth's hand is worth about $150 million. It all depends whose hands it's in. Think about this, a rod in my hand may buy me five minutes if a wild animal attacked, right? A rod in the hands of Moses is able to part the mighty sea. It matters whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hand is nothing but a kid's toy, right? A slingshot in the hands of David is a mighty weapon. It matters whose hands it's in. Bread, a little bit of bread, a little bit of meat in my hands. I could make you a sandwich. Probably wouldn't be great. I could make you a sandwich. You put a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish in the hands of Jesus. It's enough to feed 25,000 people with leftovers. It all matters. It depends on whose hands it's in. Now think about this. Three nails. Three nails in my hands. Could give you half a birdhouse, maybe three nails in the hands of Jesus by salvation for the entire world. It depends on whose hands it's in. So I wanna ask you one more time, whose hands are you going to put your one second left in? Whose hands are you going to put your one second left in? Stand to your feet all across this place. Some of you are here this morning, and you feel like your, your entire life is a one second left situation. You feel like you're, this is like your scoreboard for your whole life. Like nothing is working, nothing is going right. I mean, you were bringing up situations before, Pastor, that's my whole life. You feel like this morning you would say, I just need to surrender everything. I need to place my entire life in God's hands because I've tried and I can't do it. I've messed it up. I can't do this on my own. Maybe you're here this morning, you just need to give God control of everything in your life. I just, I need God to be my savior. I need Jesus to save me. I need him to be my king. I need to submit my life and and confess my sins and, and I need to give everything to Jesus. Maybe that's you. Could we do this? Could we bow our heads and close our eyes? This may be uncomfortable for some, but but we just do this out of reverence, but we also do this to to offer a a certain amount of privacy to to others. You may be here this morning and you say, that's me, that's my whole life. I I, I need Jesus. I I need to submit everything to him. I want to give you an opportunity to, to pray here before we do that, I just want, to, I just want to, to see you. If you would say, you know what? That's me, that's my life, that's my school board. I need to submit everything to him. I need to put my entire life in Jesus's hands. If you would say that, that's you. Would you just raise your hand here this morning? You'd say, that's me, I need to put my entire life. I see hands going up everywhere. Keep them up, keep them up. I just, man, I just need Jesus need him keep keep your hands up just because this is an act of surrender and acknowledgement jesus i need you jesus i need you and i'm going to warn you in just a moment i'm going to ask you to move out from your seat and come down forward so that we can pray for you but don't lose heart don't lose courage keep your hand up i want to ask another question if you're in this place here this morning and you would say i got a situation I got a one second left situation. Maybe it's a financial, maybe it's a relational. It's just, it's it's a situation. I have a one second left situation in my life and I just need to put it in God's hands. I need God to do something. If that's you, would you lift your hand up and join those others? I got a one second left situation. I just, it's, man, I just need Jesus. So this is what we're gonna do. Have courage, keep those hands up. Don't pull them down, have courage. I know this is weird and awkward and uncomfortable for some of you, but, but just stick with me for a second. As Pastor Dan begins to sing, the worship team is going to sing. And we're going we're to spend a moment here, and we're going to give our life and our situation back to Jesus. <clears throat> because if that ball is in our hands, if that, if that last shot is in our hands, chances are we're going to miss again. But if we place it in the hands of Jesus, he'll make it every time. If you have your hand raised, would you take a bold step? Would you come out from where you are? Would you step out of your seat and just come down to this altar area? There's a, plate. There's a plate. And, and this is what I want you to do. I just want you to begin to pray about your situation. Some of you are surrendering your life to Jesus for the first time. If you're doing that, if you're down here this morning and you're surrendering your life to Jesus for the very first time, would you raise your hand just real quick so that so that some of our altar team can come and pray with you? You're surrendering your life for the first time. Could you just raise your hand just so I can see you real quick so that our altar team can come and pray with you? Okay. Now this is what I want you to do for everybody else. I want you to... Talk to Jesus about this situation that you're placing in his hand. Call out the situation that you're placing in his hand. Let's give it to Jesus. If you take that final shot, chances are you're going to miss. If he takes it, he'll always make it. As we close, these last final moments. Do we just put those words on the screen? And for everybody else that's still out in their seats, could you just begin to worship with us today? Can we just take this time to honor God here? Altar team, could you come and begin to pray for our people down here? They're just gonna lay their hands on you. They're gonna agree together with you. They're gonna pray God's blessings over you. But could we worship together for a few minutes?